you are listening to the gentle project podcast all about kindness and i am your host irene kartik this guest is amelia zachary amelia is an upcoming author who's writing a memoir on her journey of healing and trauma let's get talking to amelia Good morning Amelia. Welcome to the Gentle Project podcast. Uh it's a delight to have you with this morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Wonderful. So, how has been life so far? I know, uh, you know, life has been uh, pretty much same for all of us, but how is it going there? It's going good. We're starting to feel the um cabin fever being at home. all day with two kids and we shift from the bedroom to the kitchen to the living room to the yard back to the living room and i guess we shuffle around like that for the past few months but it's going okay i know i know it's been the same for i think uh, all of us um, but yeah glad that uh, we've made uh, this far so that brings me to the first question that i've started asking on this season is what is one word uh, you know what is the word of the year uh, for 2020 i think my my word would be resilience i think we've shown incredible resilience in this like enormous change in our life in our way of life and access to all the things that we've been privileged to before so being living through this is something else resilience and you are you know an epitome of resilience and that's what uh, that's going to be a, a very important theme of our uh, discussion so given that uh, now you know share a little bit about yourself what you have been up to what are you currently working on i know you're working on a book it would be lovely to hear a little bit about you and what you are currently working on sure i am a writer and i am currently writing a memoir on my life with uh, post trauma processing and bipolar disorder and a life with and through the mental illness that that sounds very heavy <laughs> and uh, so from experiencing i know you have a story uh, if you have a personal story and you've gone through you know your own experiences and uh, you know you've kind of now you've decided that okay you are ready to share the story with other people so tell us a little bit about how has been your journey so far so i this well i'm writing this memoir for my children and i think there's a big uh, proponent of telling a story for them and to them they are now 6 and 4 and there there's not a lot i can truly tell them for their for their sense of understanding it so i'm writing this memoir to kind of tell them the history of all um that has happened um it started out when i was 19 and i was raped and so there was immense trauma from the violation and on top of that there was the trauma of being ostracized and being blamed for whatever that happened 
And I internalized all of that for a very long time. I had no idea, I was 19. And 19, really, I was a child. And so I couldn't understand what was happening and I couldn't um, partake in the healing. There was no healing because I didn't understand what happened. I thought I had done something wrong because there's this social script. Good girls do these things. And when you don't do these things, bad things happen. And that's what happened to me. And so the immense trauma from processing all of that by myself, I think brought about bipolar disorder. I mean, the, the violation itself, the, tra the whole trauma experience brought about my bipolar disorder. And so that's what I live through now. And that's why I'm writing, I'm writing the memoir to kind of share my realities about what that really looks like for people who don't know or share my realities with people who are going through it to hopefully give them some hope um, that there is a way out. Um, for me, it, um, it's been a long journey to get to where I am, where I'm able to talk about it. And so here I am sharing it with you. Thank you. I mean, thank you for, uh, you know, being uh, brave about it and taking, uh, you know, taking that step to uh, be able to share uh, your story with other people who might be going through similar situations in life uh, and you know when you were uh, sharing uh, about what happened and the social script I mean that is a, that's a truth that is out there especially in the Asian countries even for that matter in the western countries where um, this is still a huge stigma it's a taboo where people are not yeah. encouraged to, you know, speak about it. It gets kind of brushed under the carpet. So, you know, how did you kind of gather that courage that to kind of break the social script and say that, okay, how did it you was, get to that stage? It's huge, right? Because that's the rape culture we live around. We raise boys to, you, you know, we raise boys will be boys and girls cross your legs and be quiet and don't call attention to yourself. Don't, don't run around in a ponytail because it'll be easier for somebody to assault you or don't wear a dress that's too short or don't drink too much or don't go to the wrong places. And then when all these things happen, we blame them. We say, well, there you go. Right. And this whole, this whole scenario where I was in brought, brought to me, mostly seclusion. I, I excluded myself from everybody because I didn't know what to do. But it took me almost 20 years to start talking about it. I think it's all, it's a huge, it's, it's a huge, huge part of it is from my treatment. I've been in treatment for almost 11 years now. And treatment has helped a lot with learning to accept it. But and then um, it's a buildup of the Me Too movement and seeing other women being brave and seeing that people believed, people are starting to believe. That's a big, big thing. People did not believe that what happened to me was a violation. The, the, the dialogue there, whenever it was talked about, was that I was having a good time or that I wanted it or I did these things. So hearing that and then embodying all these the, the values that were inscribed in me, 
I believe that it was that was what it was for so many years. I keep on thinking things like, oh, if I had not done this, if I had done this differently, or if I had been with a different kind of people, maybe things would have been different. But the truth of the matter is, we don't get that choice, do we? You know, it, it is what it is. And I think like when I said that I was writing this for my children, I started to think about what I want for them. And I started to think about all the things that I would tell them to protect them. But there isn't protecting. But there also, but there is preparation that I can prepare them to be strong. I can prepare them to understand that something like this is a violation. Something like this is not something you ask for. And in that moment, it kind of clicked to me. I'm parenting them to believe certain things. And I had to reparent myself to then give myself grace and actually understand myself that, oh, it was a violation and it, it clicked in me. And then that was how I think I accepted it. We, we talk a lot among my friends, we say there are no wrong cards. And you are dealt whatever the cards that you are dealt with. And so it is what it is, it has happened. And I, I have finally accepted that it is something that has happened a blimp in my past that was tremendous to my becoming. I'm not the same person anymore. I've evolved, but I have accepted that. I have accepted that as something that has happened. I mean, uh, that that's so powerful of you to say that, okay, you don't get <laughs> dealt the wrong cards. I mean, that's actually a reality of life. Uh, and uh, what we choose to do with our uh, pain and you know our experiences is completely dependent upon us and it is wonderful to see you that you have chosen to kind of talk about it writing a memoir for kids uh, so when you're writing your book do you kind of um, it's like almost like reliving the pain if I may say so so yeah. how do you kind of uh, not get basically uh, to a point where you know, you've got so far, you've healed some parts of you. How do you kind of shield yourself in the I process? There's, there's no shielding myself because your thoughts are your personal thoughts. And if you're being truly honest and being truly honest, they are the feelings that I feel and I go through again and again. I think what has helped me is this. Um, it was an epiphany I had where the why no longer mattered. Why did it happen to me? Why did it happen at all? Now doesn't matter anymore because now what matters is how am I going to carry on? So retelling my story has become just that. Like I do relive it. I think I, I do feel, I, I would be lying if I said I didn't feel anything while I was writing all these things. I do feel the things, but I've, I'm better equipped now after well over 20 years, I'm better equipped to deal with my emotions. And I'm still in therapy. I still go through therapy. So when there are like really big feelings and big emotions or thoughts that I cannot um, handle myself, I know I have support. So that helps. But mostly I think reminding myself that the why doesn't matter anymore has helped me get through the painful thoughts and painful um, experience, re-experience, re-experiencing of the trauma. But it has been a very healing process, writing, putting it down on paper and knowing that there is a purpose 
giving it purpose, giving my words some purpose that it will hopefully help one person out there who might it might resonate with and that that in itself was huge for me. That helps me a lot to get through the pages. I mean, uh, that, that was my next question is writing itself is so powerful because I write uh, myself, you know, and uh, I was going through your website and your blog and you write beautifully. I mean, oh, thank you. There are, you know, I was reading your last post, which was on January 24th. And um, it was, uh, I think, red tiles, cheap cologne, sticky skin on mine. Th- that was the title of the post. Yeah. And and uh, you have this gift of, you know, showing. I could, uh, when I was reading, I could totally, I wouldn't say totally relate, but yeah, I could relate to what's going on in your mind. So you have this beautiful gift of writing. And Thank uh, you. So what has been your writing? Uh, so have you always been uh, into writing or did you start writing after uh, this experience? Um, so, well, when I was much young, much younger, I've always liked writing. I always liked writing. And when I was much, much younger, my parents were in TV production. So I used to help them write scripts and I used to help them write things like that, but nothing creative. It's always been, we always wrote documentaries and I, I did the research and I did the script, script outlines and stuff like that. But writing this was, is absolutely new to me. And I wrote the book first. I have a manuscript that I'm being that's being edited right now. And with writing that, I thought that I had more. After I wrote the book, I had I had more to say. And I said, I want to say more. And then I thought a blog would be a good avenue to reach more people. I mean, reach people at all. And so, and it's a form of therapy for me. It's therapeutic to put the words on pages. And it's encouraging to hear back from people about how I've heard back from some people how they've experienced the same experiences or they were feeling the same way and they were glad that I came out on the other side and they feel inspired and things like that keep me going, keep my writing going. That's that's great. If there is purpose, if it touches one person, right, that there was purpose for the exercise. Absolutely. I'm sure it's going to touch many more people, especially once your book comes out. So how do you kind of motivate yourself? Because you talked about being bipolar and bipolar, if I understand it clearly, uh, you will have phases where you are not at all productive and phases which might be highly productive or you might be in your best of spirits. So during those phases when you are absolutely feeling down and low how do you kind of motivate yourself to transition back so this is this is the reality of it is that a lot of my extreme polarities when i get really really high or really really low they are almost paralyzing so what i have is bipolar too and there are many types of bipolar and i can only speak to i can only speak to my experience not somebody else who has bipolar too may experience it differently but I'm only speaking to my experience and that's the big stigma around bipolar is people think they know what it is, but it really is a diverse experience around people who have all the different types of bipolar and within the same type too. So in my experience, I have hypomania, which is 
low levels of mania mixed with depression, and then I have major depressive episodes. And so my mania is not extreme. And so I have things like the good, the good part is I'm super productive. I'm hyper-focused. I can, I'm highly creative. So these are the things that I want. So I'm excited sometimes when I get into that space, but also with that comes anxiety, extreme anxiety, irritability. Sometimes I'm just like irrational anger or um, restlessness and all these things are debilitating because when I can't make decisions, I'm indecisive because I'm too anxious. I can't do anything because I'm paralyzed, I'm anxious, I have social anxiety and all these things make it very difficult to do things. And then if I'm in the major depressive episodes, sometimes it's just feeling this deep, deep um, grief or sadness that I, I cannot understand or I cannot pin to something. And I, or I, it's just a blah. I can't, I don't feel like doing anything. I don't want to do anything. Nothing brings me joy nothing brings me excitement. And I don't feel like doing anything. So in, or in those times of deep grief, I think in those times of like hyper creativity, I write well. It comes beautifully to me because I think I'm tapped into emotions, deep, deep, deep emotions, and it's honest and true and raw, and that comes out great. But when I'm in the in-between, that's when I just take a break from life. Like when there come there, there are times when I'm not able to do things and there's a there's a assumption that oh you you cannot do this because you're afraid of doing this you don't have to, anxiety is fear or something you don't have to be afraid of this because this and this or you don't have to be sad about this because your life is great or you know it's just this you can get over it but truly it isn't anything that i can truly pinpoint on because if i could pin it on a reason then I could possibly just process the thoughts. I have the tools. I've been in treatment for so long that I have the tools. I, I do cognitive behavioral therapy that I use regularly because that's what was easy for me and it resonates with me. And so I use it all the time, but it isn't, it isn't that I can pin a thought to correct the thought all the time. Sometimes the feelings are just there and there's nothing I can do about it. And so I just have to push through it and let it pass. And it passes, it always passes because I don't live in bipolar. I live in episodes. So they come and go, they come and go, but I don't know when they're coming. I don't know when they'll, how long they'll last. People ask me like, oh, how long is this going to be? I don't know. I honestly don't, do not know. I know, it, I think it, it has, if I'm not mistaken, I think it has to be a four day period of experiencing an episode for it to be considered an episode. So I definitely usually, so I guess we could say that minimum of four days if somebody needs, really needs to know. But yeah, I, I live through them and I am productive when I can be. And when I'm not, I give myself some grace. Yes, I mean, um, I've, I've had people in family and friends who have gone through different kinds of depression and different kinds of anxiety and many a times, you know, when they mention that they don't know what is the reason, you know, that's what you mentioned that you can't pinpoint. And it is 
uh, you know we are kind of creatures of logic we always want a reason yeah. but uh, i think that is something all of us uh, people you know normal society needs to understand that the questioning i think sometimes uh, elongates the yes. you know if somebody was going to come become kind of much better it will take a slightly long time if you are pestering people that okay when are you going to get you know trying to kind of feed them with Absolutely. reasons that it does like so i talk about helping and how people can help and should help well badgering is not one of the ways and like because Absolutely. badgering comes from from usually well meaning people people who want to help they are well meaning they want to help but when they ask questions really they want to understand and um with the assumption with set assumptions i feel like in my experience people <clears throat> in in my experience people have set assumptions already about why this is going on and so when you put that to a person who is suffering like to me and i feel like no that's not it and then i feel the responsibility and the burden to help you understand and in that moment in time when i'm so overwhelmed that's not helping my healing there's really there's really a barrier to my healing and so that that can hurt more than than it helps i think the most important way is to just be with a person just be with me my husband sometimes knows that all i need i don't want to be around people but i want to be around people so i don't want to be a, so he's understood now like i don't want to be around people but i need company because i feel lonely and i feel alone so he sits in the room next to me reading or you know um he shows us get a cup of coffee and sit next to me and be there so like i know that and he he'll tell me like i'm here if you need anything and that helps knowing there's no pressure removing the pressure from the relationship from that interaction i think it's a very important tool that that's very important in fact i had to learn that especially when i was trying to support a loved one you know kind of being there without trying to find a solution yeah um, so and you are also a parent so how have you been able to because kids these days kids they understand they you know they are very intuitive very empathetic um so how have the kids and you kind of worked along uh, when you go through your own uh, phases of uh, episodes we have been my children are 6 and 4 and my 6 year old has known about this since she was 4 she's very wise beyond her age and so she sees everything and she understands and she had been asking questions and we decided to be transparent in our parenting so we told her that mommy has bipolar disorder and that's a illness in the mind and so therefore um we're there there will be times when mommy can't do things and there will be times where you will have to do things on your own and so that um that actually she actually picked up on that and she has been a huge help so at age 4 she was making her own lunches and making her own breakfast and she would do things for herself to help out she come in and check on me if i was depressed sometimes i'm in bed and she comes to me and she's like are you okay is there anything you need can i do something for you these are things that we've talked to her about what what can you do 
because we know she feels it. We know she feels like she wants to be part of the healing. She it hurts her to see me hurting, and that's like that's natural for us, right? If you see a loved one hurting, you really want to be of help. And so she's learned the tools that we've given her to ask if there's anything that you can do to help, and she does, or she takes care of herself so that I don't have to worry about it. Now she we have. Now she's old enough to take care of her little sister. I don't know if it's old enough, but it is old enough in our home. And like, that's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of guilt and pain and shame that comes from being that mom, being the mom that has to have my children do things on their own, do things for me. And she, I mean, if you look at it that way, then like it becomes a very difficult task, a daunting task ahead of us this is this is our life and this is our entire life our future with them but i see it now as something that's beautiful my children are highly empathetic they are so generously generous with their kindness and with their love and they care for others and they show care for others they have learned how to show care for others and they love on others and it bleeds out out of the, our home and i see them out in society out when, when they're outside and they see someone hurting, they're very empathetic to help, they wanna help, or they want to reach out. And just the other day we were shopping and we were at the grocery store and there was an older gentleman in a wheelchair and he was trying to get stuff into his cart and he drops some cans and my daughter runs to go pick it up. And then she comes and tells me, she said like, oh, he couldn't pick it out on his own. I had to help him. And it wasn't a thing that she was asking to, for a pat on the back. She was concerned. She was truly concerned. And that told me that we are doing something right. That this experience is truly raising children who are good citizens of the world. And I, do, I don't know, I, I probably would have found a different way to do that. I'm not sure because that's what I want my children to be. But looking from the illness itself, I think it's not all ugly. We parents have to give ourselves some grace and look look at things on a different perspective because this is something that's beautiful that comes out of it. And children, children learn and this is their normal. This is her normal. It's not that there's anything different to her, like it's not strange or weird, but because this is our life and this is how we live it. And what's normal anyway? Absolutely. I mean, that is beautiful to, you know, be uh, make ensure that children are also part of the process. Uh, and it I think that is something that not everybody chooses to do. Because, you know, technically, at least in Asian, I can speak for Asian community or Indian communities, uh, we kind of uh, tend to you know, kind of hide things from the children. Okay, we are fine yeah. in front of children and, you know, yeah. they don't need to know. But I think that is so, I mean, it. that's how I was raised. That was how I was raised. You know, <clears throat> all the all the troubles my parents had would never come to us. We would not know what's going on. We never knew. But as children, children know when there's something wrong. They might not know the de details of what's going on, but they are very, very perceptive. So we felt that it was best for us to share with them before they make up assumptions on their own which might not be, they might, we might be misplaced. Absolutely. I mean, that, that is very beautiful. And when you talked about your daughter going to help, you know, that is the 
kind of kindness that uh, you know we need as adults also that yeah. we don't need to show that okay we've helped someone we go there because they're truly concerned and that's yeah. a very beautiful uh, example and the story that you shared so women in general we beat ourselves a lot you know and we don't give ourselves the grace you know as mothers as wives as you know people who are working so what is your advice to women to kind of develop this kind of kind of resilience that you have and the grace with which you are leading your life what is your advice to thank you i think you are giving me way too much credit than is due <laughs> i wouldn't say i give advice but what has helped me i find is understanding my own limitations that we i'm only human and i'm given i only have one life i only have one me and whatever i am is what i make it to be and that i don't need to be more than what i i i don't need to be more than what i want to be or need to be because i think all these um standards and we see facebook moms and we compare ourselves and we try to be something that we are not and it may look beautiful because it's beautiful for that person's family it's beautiful for that person's life you know we look at all these things that are beautiful it is beautiful and it's great to have aspirations but i think we should also also understand that we can we are only human and there's we have our own um environments our own um circumstances that things that make us whole may not match what we see on the screen and that's okay because in at the end of the day we only who who is it that we're serving you know at the end of the day what is it that we want we want everybody wants to be happy and if we are truly honest with ourselves with what we want and give ourselves grace and understand that we have limitations and that's okay and live through the through the limitations i think we will have happier and more fulfilling lives because we are not trying to reach an we're not trying to reach a standard that's not standard an aspiration that is not ours being true to yourself i think is the biggest takeaway which how uh, with how it comes through absolutely and that is the most difficult part <laughs> uh and uh, you know society is still not comfortable with these kind of conversations situations so how can people like me and other people how can society support the survivors people who are going through uh, different challenges mental health challenges uh, how can society contribute i think definitely like this what you're doing right now is amazing because i we don't we talk about it a lot people talk about things a lot but it, it's not enough yet I think the numbers are still going up on people who have mental health it's like one in five Americans have mental health issues and that's a lot of people if you imagine like one in every five people you meet has mental health issues that's <clears throat> but I don't think everybody's getting the help they need and that's because of the lack of awareness or understanding and I think more and more conversations like this that we are having conversations that are normalizing mental illness and normalizing um mental health and also like like sorry i lost my point so i think conversations that we were talking like we are talking about now normalizing mental illness is so important 
we have to keep talking about it and keep reading about it and keep talking to each other about it and take it as something that is an illness. Really consider it seriously, consider it as a med medical condition. If someone was having diabetes, would they go on without like any diagnosis, you know, having all the symptoms and not getting the diagnosis and not getting the treatment they need? There's no taboo around that. They go and they find out. If you have heart disease, you go and you go and find out. If you have a pain in your back, you will go and find out. But a pain in your mind, nobody wants, you know, not nobody. But when you have a pain in your mind, I feel people ignore it or try to will it away. You know your body and you know your mind and you know you know when things are good and when things are not not well and you know if your friend is acting out of out of character or you know you know when something is up then I don't see a reason why we don't get checked up regularly just for things like that because it is a medical condition that can be treated and you don't have to live through you don't have to live with it forever and ever there are a lot of mental illnesses and this most like mine is not going anywhere what I have um, we think that it's going to be something that's lifelong but I'm going to have to live through it and I do drug therapy and talk therapy and I manage it that way. And that's, that's how it's going to have to be. But there are people who have other illnesses that are curable, entirely curable. And so there's no reason for us not to get um, treatment when, they, when it is available. So I think talking about, talking about it more and learning as much as you can and talking and then allowing people to be able to open up to you being open to conversations about it if someone's not feeling well and being there for people who are not not feeling well i think those kind of things can really help absolutely i mean uh, you made me think on the point that you know we get all these reminders from our uh, gp and you know medical practices that okay pre screening pre diabetes screening yes. or pre checkup but i don't think i have you know there's something on mental health that okay why don't you come and check you know like because sometimes people don't themselves know that they might have some uh, condition yeah uh, so you see even yeah, food if, for thought even sick days right you can take a sick day if you have a cold you can take a sick day if you have a cough yeah or you're having a bad migraine or whatever you take a sick day but what happens when you have a mental health day you know a lot it's not a very common thing not everybody awards um, mental health days to not many employers are giving mental health days to employees but what do you say then the stigma is still there then you know because you have to make up an excuse and that is not healthy for the person who is going through the mental health issues so i think it's not normalized to us to an extent that is well enough that we can all be well together so i think these conversations really have to keep going absolutely i mean uh, in workplaces uh, still there, there's a lot of stigma while there are you know people who take care of you know encourage you to go and talk to a counselor but how do you make everybody come to the same level of understanding and empathy so that it gets easier for people who are dealing with that issue because that that kind of currently varies uh, there's a lot of technology focus when it comes to mental health but i think it has to be the people focus uh, yeah. and you 
it's an invisible illness. That's the problem, right? It's an invisible illness. And so therefore people can ignore it or choose to ignore it or choose to scrutinize it. And that makes it a very difficult thing for us to tackle. That's true. And uh, I think we can go on, but I have a couple more questions and then uh, uh, we can uh, wrap up. Kindness, of course, general project, uh, one major theme, underlying theme is kindness. So how has kindness played a role in your life or what are your thoughts about it? Because I'm Uh sure it would need a lot of, you know, support system, understanding, kindness. Uh, so I, kindness would, is the entirety of my being that I would not be here if not for kindness. Um, so like my, my whole life, I feel, not my whole life, my whole experience with the mental illness and trauma and everything, I've always felt alone. I always felt alone, but I wasn't actually entirely alone. And I didn't understand that when I was younger, before I had treatment and everything. Then now I understand looking back, like there was this person who was doing this and that person who was there and this person who was there. And now I realize there's kindness everywhere. And I'm more open to it. I'm more open to accepting the kindness of others. I have my best friend who is always on call. She she lives in, I live in America. She lives in Portugal. And that's a time difference. And yet whatever time I call her, she picks up because she wants to know that I'm okay. And that's the sort of love and kindness that's unconditional. And my husband, of course, like I don't have to, that goes without saying like how much she picks up around, picks up whenever I, we have a flow where when I'm down, he just gets up and picks up and goes around the house. My husband is not my children's babysitter. My husband like is an equal partner in everything in our household. And that's so much kindness and patience and like, dedication commitment that he's showing to to our relationship to our marriage and to me so i appreciate that and i think this experience really taught me how to be appreciative of all the kindness all kindness around me we have uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little story <laughs> i'm sorry am i going too long okay so um my my children there was i would never forget this man i was I had a newborn in the cart and then my little one was almost two and I'm walking into the grocery store and both of them are screaming and crying and I'm trying to, I'm trying to bounce the baby and trying to calm the baby and say, yes, yes, hold on to my little one. And, and she was screaming and pulling at me and tugging at me. And this man walks over from the forest in the grocery store. He walks over with two balloons and he hands one to my little girl, my, my oldest girl, and then ties one to the cart for the baby to look at and bounces it. And he was playing with it and he smiled he said hi and they both stopped crying they both stopped crying and they were so happy my my um my oldest gave him a hug and then we went on our way but that little show of kindness he had no idea that i was in a i was in a depressive episode i had to get groceries done and my children were screaming and i was overwhelmed and incredibly incredibly crushed i i felt paralyzed and unable to do anything. I didn't even know what I was going to do walking into that store. And his show of kindness meant the world to me. And I'll never forget that. And now I look for people like that. There are people like that everywhere. And so 
that makes life a lot more bearable and a lot more um, enjoyable knowing that there are people who are like that out there. Absolutely. That, that's such a lovely story. And, uh, you know, these small acts of kindness is what we need to make our lives, yes. you know, and the world a better place. Uh, coming to my next question is what, so this is a standard question that I ask of my guests is any two book recommendations or movie recommendations that you would, uh, that two has books. influenced you greatly and you would want to share. Two book recommendations. I know this is cheesy, but a book that changed my life is Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs> I know some people probably say that. And then there's another one called Where Do You Go Bernadette that I read for light reading, but it is hilarious and it is about somebody who has mental illness. And so I resonated with her and I felt it made me feel alive. And I think those are the two books I would recommend. Great. I mean, uh, who's the author of the second book that you recommended? I don't know how to say her name. Maria Simply. Simple, yeah, Maria. Simply, I hope it. I hope we're saying pronounce it. Right. Yeah. Well, the book is "Where Do You Go, Bernadette." Okay, that 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 looks like a good read. Great. I love. It's funny and it's funny and it's deep and it's everything all in one. And I love that book. And you also exude that you know while you talk about your deepest pain there's also a lot of grace and you know i think uh you know you exude so much of resilience i'm so glad that we were able to you know take time out and talk to you know, each other today thank you i am very grateful for this opportunity and thank you for having a conversation about this so so that we can be one of the people who are talking about it making contributing to the uh, solution absolutely my last question for you would be what is that one tip uh, for making the world a better place don't be an asshole <laughs> i said be kind be kind yeah, absolutely to the point i mean just 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 be kind and be i i think that's it like just be kind because that's what we're meant to be. We're meant to live with each other. We're meant to live around each other. Why make it ugly? Absolutely. And uh, when can we look forward to your book? Everyone asks me that. I hope, like, I hope sometime by the end of this year or something. I'm not sure. But meanwhile, go to my blog and I guess you can get keep up with me there. And so I'll, I'll update on when the book is coming out. And cross your fingers, cross your toes for me that you'll be done soon. <laughs> Absolutely. You'll be on the shelf soon. Absolutely, I'm sure. And I'm looking forward to when it gets launched, probably once uh, it gets finalized, we can have another conversation uh, before uh, the book launches. But I'm so glad that uh, you, you were able to make time for us, Amelia. Thank you so much. Thank you for holding space for me. Lovely. And uh, you have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you, you too. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as Amelia said, we don't get to choose the cards that have been dealt to us in life, but 
we can always choose how we deal with it so until next week have a great time please to share and subscribe to the podcast if you have a story to share please do write in to me at thegentleproject.kindness@gmail.com or you could visit thegentleproject.io which is our website and uh, leave a note for us if you want to be a part of this uh, small initiative please feel free to write in to me at thegentleproject.kindness@gmail.com it would be lovely to have more people join on this wonderful uh, journey and please do uh, share your feedback and share with us if there are any guests that you would want to uh, listen to on the show and uh, so until next time stay safe and stay kind